Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, good afternoon, everyone. My name is Kennard. I'm your host for the Merciful Service of God Biblical Instructional Program. So hello to those on the east coast of the United States, the central region, the west coast, and around the world to the two billion, that's what for me, two billion people that I could possibly access. And, of course, it would take a miracle from Yah or God for that to happen. But anyway, that is my reach. Shalom. Peace. Well, before I get into the topic of this Bible study, which is uh, pretty interesting, what is sin? Um, I want to focus on a little bit what happened this week in in reference to the Boston bombings. And uh, my heart really goes out to the people that uh, had to suffer because of that. And we need to be praying for for them and praying for our nation, especially, and and praying for our president uh, for us to consider that things that we're doing and certain decisions that we are making is affecting our nation, and I'll get into that in a minute here. But what I'm going to do, I think I did this two weeks ago, I'm going to start to read some prayers from selected presidents of the United States. Uh, This book that I'm getting these prayers out of is called Prayers and Presidents, Inspiring Faith from Leaders of the Past by William Federer. And it's the National Day of Prayer edition. And I want to start with a prayer by John F. Kennedy. And it's on page 237 of this terrific book. And it's John F. Kennedy, January 20th, 1961, his inaugural address. For I have sworn before you an almighty God, the same solemn oath our forebears prescribed nearly a century and three quarters ago. The world is very different now. For man holds in his mortal hands the power to abolish all forms of human poverty and all forms of human life. And yet, the same revolutionary beliefs for which our forebears fought are still an issue around the globe. The belief that the rights of man come not from the generosity of the state, but from the hand of God. That is a terrific prayer, ladies and gentlemen. Now, getting back to the Boston bombing. I'm not going to judge this nation. I'm not going to 
hopefully say things that are going to upset any one of you. And first of all, let me, a friend of mine told me to say this in every program. This program is for people who have eyes to see and ears to hear that understand that the law of God was not nailed to the cross by our Savior, Jesus Christ, or Yeshua Messiah. If you believe that the law of God is nailed to the cross and we only have to keep six commandments, and by the way, I just did a program that now is my feature program uh, that proves that Jesus does not just want us to keep six commandments. I implore you to listen to that program if you are open-minded to wanting to know the truth about that. But if you're not, if you think you know it all about the Bible, if you think you know it all about God, you know, I'm I'm uh, 47 years old, and I've been studying the Bible for 27 years, and I'm still learning something out of the Bible. So, so uh, if you think that you, you got it made and so forth, then this program is not for you. But if you're willing to be as a little child, in Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 1, here it says, At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, it's in the King James Version, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? or the kingdom of God. In verse 2 of Matthew chapter 18, And Jesus called a little child unto him, and set him in the midst of them, or in the middle of them. In verse 3 of Matthew chapter 18, And he said, Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted, converted, that word means to reverse, to repent, and in Hebrew that means to shuva. So be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And in verse 4, Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven or God. So I suggest that if you want to continue to listen to me, especially for those who are listening to me for the first time, you need to humble yourself, just like I did 27 years ago and realize that I don't know everything about the Bible. Matter of fact, you need to understand what the Bible reveals about what has happened to mankind. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceives or tricks the entire world. So your Bible says that this devil has tricked the entire world. And in Jeremiah, Jeremiah, maybe I'll quote these scriptures every week at the beginning of the program. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 16. This is all out of your own Bible, out of your old King James Bible. If you have a King James Bible. Jeremiah 16 verse 19. O Lord, my strength and my fortress and my refuge in the day of affliction, the Gentiles shall come unto thee from the ends of the earth. And shall say the following, Surely our fathers, our past generations, and current generations, have inherited lies, vanity, and things wherein there is no profit. So that's what your Bible says. So if you want to believe what your Bible says, I would suggest you pay attention to what I have to say today. If not, then you could exercise your, your choice of uh, freedom and not listen to this program. Okay, after that disclaimer, let's talk about the Boston bombing. Isaiah chapter 58. 
Isaiah chapter 58, verse 1. I'm only doing, and any Torah teacher should do the same thing. We should not be afraid to do the following. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression, and the house of Jacob their sins. A little disclaimer. The house of Israel consists today of the United States, the British Commonwealth of Nations, including Canada, New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, the countries in Northwestern Europe. Geographically, of course, anyone, no matter what the color of their skin, can become a part of Israel, according to Ephesians chapter 2. Please read that as well. And let's understand that Yeshua is the king of Israel, which uh, we'll be going over today as well. So that's in John chapter 1, verse 49, in John 12, verse 13, it is revealed that he is the king of Israel. So if he's the king of Israel, he's going to be executing Israel's laws. And if you believe in Jesus, then you are believing in a king of Israel, which means you must submit to those laws. Verse 2 of Isaiah 58, verse 2, Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways. This is a prophecy about our nation and all the other areas I told you around the world. As a nation that did righteousness, righteousness in Psalm 119, verse 172, is defined as keeping the commandments or part of the commandments and forsook not the ordinance of their God. So this prophecy is saying that we forsake the ordinance of God. They ask of me of the ordinance of justice. They take delight in approaching to God. Just like it was great to see everybody realize there's, there's God. God exists after the bombings. It's like every time, every time something happens, oh, there's God. There's God. You know, God wants us to focus on him without all, all this devastation, without him allowing these things to happen. But he does allow these ha things to happen to get our attention. And it does get our attention, but time and time and time, time again, we, we focus on God and then we get right back into thinking the wrong way and doing the wrong things to cause these things to happen. Over and over and over and over again. Isaiah chapter 59. The people were wondering, well, where was God? Where was God? Why did God allow this to happen, this catastrophe? It's just sad. I mean, body parts all over the place. Uh, this is sad and saddens me so much to see this great nation go through these things. And it's so unnecessary if we just collectively as a nation repent and start to obey the Bible that we all have in our homes, most of us. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 1, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. So I want you to understand that. He's capable of stopping all of this. He hears it and he sees it. But this is the problem, folks. Pay attention to this verse. Verse 2. But your iniquities, our iniquities, have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood. And then whenever, whenever I read that scripture, I think about abortions. They, they were talking about this one black doctor. And let's make a difference in what color he is. I just said he's black. Uh, that he, uh, I just saw the horrendous pictures of, of these abortions that he, some of these babies were seven months. Uh, it, it was just sad. It was sad to see the horror and the, 
It's just sad to see human beings just utterly murdered like that because the mothers don't want to take the responsibility to take care of children that they have birthed. But anyway, Isaiah 59, verse 3, For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity, and your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue have muttered perverseness. Verse 4, None calleth for justice, meaning the majority as a whole, not, not every single person, but as a whole, don't call for justice, nor any pleaded for truth as a whole, again, because truth is the entire law of God, when you understand it. They trust in vanity and speak lies. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. So this is a good chapter to read, but it tells you that we are living in a nation and, and all those other areas around the world that I just mentioned, uh, all the modern tribes of Israel, including the little nation of Israel and Israel. They are also a part of Israel. Uh, please understand that there's 12 tribes that consist of Israel. It's in Genesis chapter 49. And the Jews today consist of Judah, Benjamin, and Levite today combined. And to get further information about this, go to www.britam.org. That's www.britam.org. Your Davidi's website will go into detail uh, to prove to you through secular, outside of religious sources, and also religious sources of what I just told you, that the United States and the British Commonwealth of Nations, Canada, New Zealand, Austria, not Austria, Australia, South Africa, the countries in, in northwestern Europe are a part of Israel. And, of, of course, the little nation of Israel, which consists of the Jews, Benjamin, and uh, Levites, they all consist of the 12 tribes of Israel in the 21st century. Okay, so let's understand what God has prophesied through the prophet Moses, what would occur to our nation if we continue to be rebellious and not obey him. It's all in this book, Leviticus chapter 26. Leviticus chapter 26, starting in verse 14. But if you will not hearken unto me and will not do all these commandments, all of them, all the ones you can do, verse 15, and if you shall despise my statutes or if your soul Abhor my judgment so that you will not do all my, see, notice, all my commandments, but that you break my covenant or agreement. That's what it means, covenant, to do the commandments. Verse 16, I also will do this unto you. I will appoint over you terror. Terror. And we've had this, we've been so frightened and focusing on terror since September 11th. Consumption and the burning egg. Or og that shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart, and you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. And I will set my face against you, and you shall be slain before your enemies, that they hate you. They that hate you rather shall reign over you, and you shall flee when none pursue of you. So anyway, I just want to show you here that that he has prophesied that curses will come if we don't obey him collectively as a nation and that's what's occurring right now and in Isaiah 45 verse 7 he states this I form the light and create darkness I make peace and create evil and this is what he says here 
I, the Lord, do all these things. And, and he does it for a reason. He allows the evil to hopefully cause us to repent and, and reflect on what we're doing and to repent. On Isaiah chapter 26, Isaiah chapter 26, verse 9, With my soul have I desired thee in the night. Yes, with my spirit within me will I seek thee early, for when thy judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. Unfortunately, that's how most human beings learn righteousness, ladies and gentlemen, by God allowing all these curses to wake us up. Because it did drive us to God. Yeah, the president, I think he went to a church service and so forth. Everybody's thinking about God now. It works. But it only works temporarily, and then people get back into their rebellious attitudes. Uh, not one to obey what the scriptures say. Leviticus chapter 18. Leviticus chapter 18. Starting at verse 22. States plainly, Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is an abomination. You wouldn't believe the, the controversy of this one verse that has caused many different churches uh, in this country. We have over 33,000 denominations. But in Matthew chapter 19, if you read uh, the, the first few verses there, Yeshua states plainly, or Jesus states plainly that, actually, I'm going to go there. Hold your place here in Leviticus 18, verse 22. Turn to Matthew chapter 19. Because I, I use Matthew chapter 19 because people like say that's Old Testament and so forth. And and uh, you can look at the context in Matthew 19, verses 1 to 3. He's talking about divorce. So the antithesis of that, the opposite of that is marriage. And in my, Matthew 19, verse 4, and he's answered to them, have you not read <laughs> that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? He didn't make a male, male, or female, or female. In verse 5, and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Okay? So there's no two wives for marriage or two husbands. Verse 6, Wherefore they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God is joined together, let not man put asunder. And that's somewhat of a prophecy because that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to destroy the institution of marriage in this country. And do you think God is going to sit there and, and, and just not uh, let you know that he's aware of, of, of what we are trying to do as a nation? And this nation is influencing the world to do the same thing. France is almost, I think France has already approved it. I've heard that they are already going to allow same-sex marriages. And then in other countries are starting to do that because we are doing it. And we, we influence a lot of countries because we're the most powerful country in the world. But anyway, as you can see, Jesus didn't say marriages between a man and a man or a woman and a woman. So let's go back to Leviticus chapter 18. Leviticus chapter 18, starting in verse 22. Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind, and is an abomination. Verse 23. Neither shall thou lie with any beast to defile thyself there, and neither shall any woman stand before a beast to lie down there if it is confusion. So he's associating this with bestiality. I mean, it's the same, man, you know. It's both a perversion. Verse 24 of Leviticus chapter 18. Defile ye not yourselves. And this is what people that do this, they defile themselves. And any of these things, for in all these, the nations are defiled, which I cast out before you. Our country is becoming defiled. 
because of allowing this abomination and others. Verse 25, and the land is defiled. Therefore I, and this word in the Hebrew means contaminated, unclean. Therefore I do visit the iniquity thereof. This is, don't say Canard is saying anything. I'm just reading this to you. This is what God is saying. I'm just reading the words. That's all that a, a minister or a Torah teacher should do is read the words. Don't change the words. Don't twist the scriptures. Just read them. And that's how you learn if you have eyes to see and ears to hear. In this case, it's ears to hear. And the land is defiled, therefore I do visit, he visits, the iniquity thereof upon it. And the land itself vomited out the, her inhabitants. See, that's bad news. Whenever, whenever we do something along this line of, of homosexuality, bestiality, and all the other sexual sins uh, in this chapter, we will cause great hardship upon this nation, any nation that, that does it, especially homosexuality, because what was the one thing that that uh, God saw that decided he decided to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? It was a homose it was homosexual activity. Homosexual activity that was getting so bad it was uh, affecting society. And that's the point that is the um, what am I trying to say? We are getting to that point right now, ladies and gentlemen. The latest edition of the Time magazine, of Time magazine, I know, I know you've probably heard of Time magazine, right? And it had on the cover a picture of two females kissing and two males kissing, uh, uh, April 8th edition. Okay, and this event with Boston happened, and Boston, by the way, of course, uh, is, in the, is in the state of Massachusetts, and Massachusetts do allow... They do allow same-sex marriages. So in verse 24 of Leviticus chapter 18, Defile not ye yourselves in any of these things, for in all these the nations are defiled which I cast out before you. And the land is defiled, therefore I do visit the iniquity thereof upon it, and the land itself vomited out her inhabitants. Ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgment, and shall not commit any of these abominations, neither any of your own nation, nor any stranger that sojourn among you. So in any words, it doesn't make a difference who it is. This applies to, to any nation around the world. And I'm going to prove that to you in a minute after this. Verse 27, For all these abominations have men of the land done, which before you in the land is defiled, that the land spoo not you out also, when you defile it, as it spooed out all the nations that before you. That proves to you what I just said, that this applies to all nations doing these sexual sins. Any nation that does this on a consistent basis, up and leading up into homosexuality and bestiality, will cause the nation to be unclean, and you will cause the eternal God to visit your nation and to allow terror, allow other things to happen to you, to get you hopefully to repent and consider what you've done wrong. Verse 29. For whosoever shall commit any of these abominations, even the souls that commit them shall be cut off from among the people. Verse 30, Therefore shall you keep my ordinance, that you commit not any of these abominable customs which were committed before you, and that you defile not yourself therein. I am the Lord your God. So this is what your Bible says, ladies and gentlemen. Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Chapter 18. God is an equal opportunity God. He loves everyone. Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 7. He wants to see all of humanity repent. Jeremiah 18, verse 7. At what instance I shall speak concerning a nation 
and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it. Just like I've just read you, right? Verse 8, if that nation, condition, if that nation against whom I have pronounced, turn or do to Shuva, repent from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. And then it works the other way too. At what instance I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build in the planet or to bless it? Verse 10, if it do evil in my sight, that it obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good whereof I said I would benefit them. This applies to any nation, not just to Israel. So, folks, let's pray for this country. Let's pray for our president. Let's pray that he realizes the folly of trying to push the gay agenda on this country. Help him to realize that if he continues to push the gay agenda, I just read to you what's going to happen to this nation or any nation, any nation that pushes a gay agenda. Ladies and gentlemen, please understand that Yeshua prophesied that we would get to this state. Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. Verse 28. Luke 17, verse 28. Likewise, also as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built it. Verse 29. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Verse 30. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So he's saying that we're going to have an increase of homosexuality. It's going to be a trademark of the end times, and it certainly is right now, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. Let's get into the topic of this Bible study. Hopefully I'll be able to get it all done here in this program. What is sin? That's a good question. Many people have their opinions about what is sin. Uh, some people think that uh, you could certain sins uh, will, uh, if we don't even if we don't repent of them, even if we're aware of them, uh, we won't suffer to be thrown in the lake of fire, etc. People have their issues or opinions about that. What does the Bible though? What does the Bible say about sin and what it does to humanity? All right. Well, let's get into what the Bible says uh, and. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. 1 John 3, verse 4. In the King James Version, it says, Whosoever committeth sin transgress also the law, or Hebraically that means Torah, the instructions of God. For sin is the transgression of the Torah. So any place where you see that somebody sinned, then they transgress the Torah, okay, or the law of God. In James chapter 1, James chapter 1, and I suggest you get you a piece of paper and a pencil and, and jot these scriptures down. I'm going to try to go as slow as I can, but for you to learn the Bible, you have to know where these scriptures are. That's the only way you're going to understand the Bible. I remember my first Bible, I marked it up so much, pages was falling out, and I had all kinds of markings on every page. And so you, you, you're going to have to study the Bible like that, ladies and gentlemen. I also suggest you get this program called eSword. You can go to eSword.net. It's free. You can donate if you want. And, and uh, it's, uh, it's a very helpful tool to help you really Bible study. James chapter 1, starting in verse 13 to 15, gives you um, 
the further definition of sin here. It says, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Verse 14. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Verse 15. Then when lust hath conceived or planted, it brings forth sin. And sin, it doesn't tell you there's certain sins that don't fall into this this category. It's talking about sin, period. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. So that is what the Lord's brother has stated in his inspired scripture, that sin brings forth death. That's what sin does, ladies and gentlemen. And some people say, well, is this the first death or second death? Well, we will see, but in all likelihood, because whenever you're reading the Bible and there's a dichotomy between eternal life and death, it's talking about the second death, which is found in Revelation chapter 20. A second death is you won't live again, and I'm going to prove that today uh, using the scriptures, the Bible. First John chapter 5. Now here's one that people debate about uh first John chapter five verse eleven. Some people anyway. And I remember I went over um a friend of mine's house that lives um I'm trying to remember um he was the, yeah, I'm trying to remember uh when I when I did go to his house. I think it was um yeah, I think it was last year. And he he believes that there's actually certain sins that you can commit and you know you're doing it and nothing's going to happen to you. And I, I've studied the Bible for years and maybe somebody can show me a scripture to prove that to be wrong or prove that to be right, but I don't see where that's at in the Bible. If there's a sin that you are aware of and you just don't want to change, then unfortunately, hold your place here in First John 5. Let's, let's turn to James to understand this. James chapter 2. Verse 10. Whosoever shall keep the whole law, all the instructions of God, and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. And he gives you an example here in verse 11. For he that says, do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill. Now, if thou commit no adultery, yet if you kill, you are become a transgressor of the law. Okay, and in verse twelve, so speak ye and do, and so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. So we're going to be judged by this law. And in verse thirteen, for he shall have judgment without mercy that shows no mercy, and mercy rejoices against judgment. So, so you break one, you break them all, and you continue to break them in an unrepentant attitude, and you understand that you're 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 actually sinning, and you you do understand what you're doing. Uh, if you don't repent of that, it's, it's, it's going to lead to death, according to the scriptures. So let's get back to First John, chapter five, verse eleven. And this is the record that God has given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. And verse twelve. This is a pretty um, blunt and cut, dry scripture here. 1 John 5, verse 12. He that have the Son have life. 
and he that have not the Son of God have not life. Let me repeat this two, two more times in the King James Version. He that has the Son has life, and he that has not the Son of God has not life. Again, he that has the Son has life, and he that and he have not the Son of God have not life. Let me repeat it one more time. He that has the Son has life. And he that has not the Son of God have not life. So that's that's pretty plain, ladies and gentlemen. If you don't have the Spirit of God in you, if you don't want to obey God, and you have been given the opportunity to understand and obey His words, then you don't have life, according to the Scriptures, ladies and gentlemen. You don't have life. First um, John 5, verse 13. These things have I written unto you, that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Okay, so uh, that was another scripture I wanted to refer to as far as the sin that, not, the sin that does lead to death. I'm going to get to that in a minute. I, I got confused. <laughs> but anyway, that was a good scripture to read to, to, to point out that you must believe in the Messiah. If you don't believe in the Messiah, ladies and gentlemen, you will not have life. That's a pretty plain scripture there for anyone, I hope, to understand. Okay, John chapter 9. Verse 41. Jesus said unto them, If you were blind, you should have no sin. Okay, so he's talking about spiritually blind. If you don't know what you're doing, if you don't know that you're sinning, and we're talking about honestly you don't know, then it's not sin according to our Lord and Savior. Now, James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verse 17. Therefore to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. Okay, so it's not sin if you don't know to do good. Okay, it's only sin. Let me repeat it again, the Lord's brother. Therefore, to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. Only confirms what his his brother, Jesus, or Yeshua, said. That if you were blind, you would have no sin. Now, I just had a conversation with... Uh, my spiritual family yesterday and uh, brought something to my attention that, well, all sin it, it does cause curse, whether you, you know you're sinning or not. Well, that's true. But I forgot to quote this verse in Luke chapter 12. God is merciful and he's fair. Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 47. It says, And that serpent... I'm sorry, not the serpent. <laughs> Luke 12, verse 47. And that servant, and that servant, which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But here's a significant scripture I want you to pay attention to. In verse 48 of Luke chapter 12. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. So he's fair. You didn't know. You're still going to be punished, but you're not going to be punished as severely as you would be if you knew. And that's and that's fair. Totally fair. 
But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. And I can definitely relate to that one. Now, let's get to the the sin that does not lead to death scripture that people... um, sometimes they're confused about. Uh, 1 John chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. All right, 1 John 5, verse, uh, starting in verse 16, it says, If any man see his brother sin, a sin which does not lead to death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. Let me repeat this again. If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. Verse 17, all unrighteousness is sin. And there is a sin not unto death. So what is this sin not unto death? Well, I refer to... Dr. Stern's Jewish New Testament commentary, and I think he explains this pretty good. He says, sin that does lead to death. Judaism distinguishes between unconscious sin for which sacrifices atone. And so, again, uh, for those who are listening to me for the first time, the sacrifices were for unintentional sins. They weren't for intentional sins. It took the sacrifice of Christ to wipe that out. But all the sacrifices were for unintentional sins, okay? And its its purpose was to wipe those sins out <clears throat> temporarily. So let's let's understand that that truth that I know is not uh, preached that much um, about the sacrifices. Okay, so Judaism distinguishes between unconscious sin for which sacrifices atone and deliberate high-handed sin for which only death atones. So only death atones for high-handed sins. Uh, of course, the ultimate death that atoned for all high-handed sins, whereas Yeshua's death or Jesus's. In this context of this letter, those who deliberately choose not to keep trusting in the person and power of the Son of God, that's in verse 13, of this uh, chapter, First John chapter, First John chapter five, and who do not obey God's commands, verses two to three, and who do not love their brothers, and that's in First John four, verse twenty-one, do not have the life. I just read that scripture to you, verse twelve of First John chapter four. A believer's responsibility to a brother committing a sin is not only to ask God to give him life but also to go and show him his fault. That's in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 and 17. To set him right, but in the spirit of humility, Galatians 6, verse 1, to turn him from his wandering path. Okay, so that's very important to uh, to understand that. That's our goal, is to turn people from their wandering path and get them on the right track. And we should humbly do that. And this is uh, found in James 5, verse 19 to 20. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his ways shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. 
John chapter 12, verse 47. And if any man hear my words and I and I and believe not, so let me quote this. John twelve verse forty seven. If any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not, for I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. So Yeshua he came to save this world. Uh first time he came is to save humanity from dying permanently, because as we're gonna find out, that's what sin would cause if he did not come and sacrifice his life, his death atoned for the death penalty that was ruled upon all of mankind. And so we have an opportunity now, if we believe him and prove that we believe him by obeying his Father's commandments and his commandments, which is his Father's commandments, then we will be able to enter the kingdom of God according to the Bible. John chapter 3, verse 17. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. This world, ladies and gentlemen, needs saving. The people need saving. The, the, phys the physicality of the earth needs saving. We are defiling the earth with our sins, as according to Isaiah chapter 24, the first six verses there. Read it. It's very illuminating. But anyway, uh, we, without God, this whole world would be destroyed. He even said that in Matthew chapter 24, ladies and gentlemen. Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 22. And except those days, these, these days of the 21st century, should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. None, none, none. So the Messiah did come to save the world, ladies and gentlemen. To save to save this world and also to save humanity from utter destruction. That was the ultimate purpose of the Messiah. There's other reasons too, but the ultimate and main purpose was for him to save humanity from utter destruction. And to save this earth from utter destruction. John chapter 12. John chapter 12, starting in verse 32. And if I be lifted from the earth, will draw all men unto me. And that, and that means all men, ladies and gentlemen. Um, that's the purpose of his death is to draw all of humanity to him. I just read to you that if you don't have Christ or Yeshua, you don't have life. <laughs> That's why he wants to draw all humanity to him so all of humanity will continue to live, or the majority of it anyway, the majority of humanity. Now, those who refuse to obey God after understanding how to obey God will be destroyed. Let me repeat that. Those who refuse to obey God after understanding how to obey God will be unfortunately annihilated or destroyed. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Starting in verse 19. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you 
I have set before you life and death, dichotomy of life and death. Blessing and cursing, dichotomy of blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your seed may live. So let's let's break this down here. He's serious here. He says in Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, all of humanity. I have set before you life, which is blessings, and death, which involves cursings. Therefore, choose life that both you and your seed may live. And it's not just for you, but also your descendants and uh, your your future generations and so forth. And he's pretty serious about this. Psalm 37, verse 20. Psalm 37, verse 20. But the wicked shall perish. The word perish in Hebrew means to destroy, be void of, utterly void. And the enemies of the Lord shall be as the fat of lambs. So to give you a description, if you didn't understand that, he's giving you a description here. They shall consume, and to smoke shall they consume away. This is a serious message, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you're paying attention to this because you know, he's not playing around here, okay? He he expects you to obey him. And if you don't obey him, you won't live to do anything. Uh, Malachi chapter 4, verse 1. For behold, the day comes that shall burn as an oven. I'm sure that, and I know God, he knows everything. He knows that in the end times we have these ovens. Even back then they had ovens. Anyway, I, I'm sure that you understand how hot an oven is when you put your hand in it at 400 degrees or even 300 degrees. And all the proud, yes, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. Okay? All the proud and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. That's what that means in Hebrew. And the day that comes shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. And so that you understand that they're totally destroyed, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. Their life is terminated. If, you, if you're a farmer, you understand that plants must have roots to be able to exist. If you pull the plant root out from the dirt, they won't live again. So he's using that analogy for a human being. Verse 2, Malachi 4, verse 2, But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go forth and grow up as cows of the stall. And verse 3, And you shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, says the Lord of hosts. So you and me and everyone else <laughs> logically want we we want to escape that uh that day that burns as an oven Hebrews chapter 10 Hebrews chapter 10 Hebrews chapter 10 starting in verse 26 
For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth. Okay? Again, sin is only if you know you're sinning. If you don't know you're sinning, sure, you, you'll suffer, but you won't suffer as much as if you knew that you were sinning. Okay? For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, the instructions of God, there remains no more sacrifice for sins. That's why Christ sacrificed himself so that we could learn how to obey. And I'm going to explain that in this Bible study today. It says, there remain no more sacrifice for sins, verse 27, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the word devour in the Greek means to devour, eat, totally eat up the adversaries. Verse 28 of Hebrews chapter 10. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Verse 29. How much more sore punishment suppose ye shall be thought worthy who have trodden under the foot of the Son of God and has counted the blood of the covenant or the agreement where he was sanctified an unholy thing and have done despite unto the spirit of grace. For we know that he has said, Vengeance belongs unto me, I will recompense, says the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. And verse 31, It is a fearful thing, a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. In Revelation chapter 20, for those who stubbornly refuse to obey him, after giving plenty of opportunity to do so, this is their fate. Revelation 20, verse 14 to 15, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Verse 15, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And so, you know, whenever I read that, I'm motivated to stay away from the lake of fire because <laughs> I don't want to be tossed in it. So um, let's understand something, and, and I don't think, I know Catholics don't understand this, a lot of them, and then also some Protestants don't understand this. But immortality is right now, ladies and gentlemen, closed to mankind. We do not have an immortal soul. That's one of the greatest false teachings of all time. Let's turn to Genesis. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden that you may freely eat, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it, for in the day that you eat, so the day that he eats of it, he shall surely die. He's not telling him when he's going to die, but he's saying when you eat of that, tree, then you're going to start the process of death, because Adam did not die until he was around he was over 900 years. But if he didn't eat of that tree, he wouldn't have died. That's what he's saying here. But of course, we know what he did. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, starting at verse 14. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, because you have done this, in other words, I'm just going, skipping to this, because we know what happened to the woman. He deceived the woman, and the woman gave. She ate of the fruit of the tree, and then he gave some to Adam, and he ate. 
So Genesis 3, verse 14, The Lord God said unto the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shall you go, and dust shall you eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and you shall bruise his heel. So this is a prophecy of the coming of the Messiah, and also a prophecy of the children of God and the children of the devil. Okay? And in verse 16, Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow you shall bring forth children. That's the reason why women are in pain when they have kids. And it was it was never to be that way, but because of what happened, that's the penalty. And thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. In verse 17, that's not a curse, by the way. I mean, that's, that's because Adam was created first, as Paul explains in the epistle of Timothy, that rightfully uh, a man should be the head of the woman. But let's understand something. Adam is the first Adam, the second Adam, or the last Adam is Yeshua in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and no one has any difficulty understanding that he's our boss. Well, if the last Adam is our boss, then obviously the first Adam was, was the boss of all of humanity. And then, of course, when he created the woman, he created the woman to help the man. Okay, so in verse 17, here's the curse to Adam, to men. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened to the voice of thy wife, doesn't mean that you shouldn't hearken to the voice of your wife, but when you know that she's telling you, and this with anybody, if you know that anyone is telling you something that you shouldn't do, you shouldn't comply to it. But unfortunately, Adam did not show the kind of leadership that men should have, or anyone should have in that situation, especially men. Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shall thou eat of it all the days of thy life. And verse 18, Thorns, and also this shall it bring forth thee, and you shall eat the herb of the field. And the sweat of thy face, with great effort, shall thou eat bread. So I know a lot of men, including this one, can relate to hard work. Sometimes I work so hard that I get headaches. Till thou return into the ground, for out of it was thou taken. For thus thou art, and thus shall thy return. Or thus shall thou return. And then verse 20, And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Verse 21, And to Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. And verse 22, and, and the Lord said, and listen to this, this is significant, Behold, the man has become as one of us, to know good and evil, and now that not he put forth his hand, and take also of the tree of life, and eat and live forever and ever. So let me repeat that again. That not he put forth his hand, and take also of the tree of life, and eat and live forever. Again, that not he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Obviously, the tree of life represents immortality, ladies and gentlemen. He did not want Adam and Eve to live forever in a corrupted state. So, in Genesis 3, verse 23, Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. Verse 24, so he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims, mighty angels, and a flaming sword, which turned 
every way to keep the way of the tree of life. So right now as I'm speaking, that tree of life is closed off to humanity. The only way humanity can have access to the tree of life now is through the Holy Spirit. You repent and receive the Holy Spirit, then you have access to that tree of life. Just like I just read to you, if you have Christ, you have life. If you don't have Christ, you do not have life. Okay, let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Starting in verse 14, which proves that no man has immortality other than God himself. First uh, Timothy chapter 6, and we know which God we're talking about, the one that became a man. <laughs> and then also the Father has immortality, but Yeshua's body, he has a spiritual body. First Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 14, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the King James Version here, verse 15 of 1 Timothy chapter 6, which in his times he shall show, who is the blessed and only pontificate, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And here's the key verse, verse 16, who only has immortality, who only has immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man has seen nor can see, so let's, let's, this is important here, this scripture. Who only has immortality dwelling in the light which no man can approach into. So no one can approach this light of immortality. Whom no man has seen nor can see. To whom honor and power everlasting. And this is interesting because it's stating that no man has seen the immortality of Yeshua. Okay. Whom no man has seen nor can see to whom be honor and power and everlasting. This is what he says here in, in this verse. Obviously, he must be talking about seeing in person, not in a vision. Okay? All right. Because John did see his glory in a vision. All right. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, so by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So I'm going to read that scripture to help you to understand what sin did. What did it cause? It caused all of humanity to die. And if it wasn't for the Messiah coming, it would have been permanent. But because of the Messiah coming, it's not permanent if each and every person who has ever lived repents. And they all will be given an opportunity to repent. I'm talking about human beings, not Nephilim, not uh, beings that were merged with angelic seed. They're not even human beings. Anyway, and that's in Genesis chapter 6, uh, the first uh, six verses there. It talks about the Nephilim. Anyway, Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 19. For the earnest expectation of the creature, that means that should be translated the uh, creation in, in the uh, 
King James Version, waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature or the creation was made subject to vanity, not willingly. God didn't cause the destruction. We know what did it, sin. But by reason of him who has subjected it in the same hope. Verse 21. Because the creation itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption. And how did the bondage of corruption start? Through sin. And to the glorious liberty of the children of God. Verse 22. For we know that the whole creation, the universe, groans and travails in pain together until now. Now this is the good news. Verse 23, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, which means that you have immortality dwelling in you if you continue on the road toward righteousness. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. And we're going to get into what immortality is all about. And let me just read the scripture here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 so you understand what immortality is because I know some people don't understand what immortality is. It doesn't mean you have a soul in you, a spirit uh, that's immortal and, and, and you have a body that's immortal. It doesn't mean that. First Corinthians 15, verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither does corruption inherit incorruption. And verse 50, 51 of First Corinthians chapter 15. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trump shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruption... For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and here's the verse I want to get to, and this mortal must put on immortality, which proves that, again, that none of us have immortality. The only mortal that came on the earth and has immortality now is Yeshua, Jesus. Verse 54, so when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that it is written, Death is swallowed up in victory, O death, where is thy sting, O grave? Where is thy victory? Verse 56, the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks to be God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Beautiful scripture there. Very beautiful. Okay. Where am I? Genesis chapter 4. This is a significant scripture. Let's go over this with Cain. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Okay. And verse 2, and she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And verse 3 of Genesis chapter 4, and in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And verse 4, and Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect unto Cable, and, not Cable, Abel, and to his offering. 
I think it's time for me to drink some water. I'll be right back. Okay, that's better. In verse 5 of Genesis chapter 4, But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect, and Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. His countenance fell. Verse 6, And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou angry? And why is thy countenance fallen? If you do well, shall thou not be accepted. But if you do not well, sin lies at the door. And he's talking to Cain. He's talking to us too, but this was directed at Cain as well. And unto thee, unto Cain, shall be his desire. And to us too, if we don't do the following. And thou shalt rule over him. So he was telling Cain, that he was capable of ruling over sin. And this is a lesson for us. We're capable of ruling over sin. And we have to learn how to do well. Because if we don't do well, sin lies at the door. And this is a very educational scripture explaining to you how to deal with sin and how to avoid it. If thou do as well, shall that not be accepted? So obviously he didn't do well. And if you do not well, sin lies at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and you shall rule over him. And, of course, we know what happened. He didn't listen to God, and he had the capability of obviously not sinning, because why would God say you shall rule over him? And he, and he, and he said, hey, you know, I just read to you what the Scripture said. It's simple in any, any translation. Verse 8, And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. And then verse 9, And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not, am I my brother's keeper? So when, when Cain sinned, he became a child of the devil. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. For more scriptural evidence. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. That was the problem. Cain did not offer the kind of sacrifice that he should have offered. And so he sinned in the process uh, by being jealous of Abel, as we're going to see here, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. That's an interesting scripture as well. Anyway, that's not a Bible study. Um First John chapter three. First John chapter three. Verse seven. Little children, let no man deceive you. Okay, so I already read to you at the beginning of this program how the devil has deceived all of us, so let's not be deceived, folks. Let's let's listen to what the scriptures are telling us here. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that does righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. That's the definition of someone who's righteous, someone who does righteousness. What's righteousness? In Psalm 119, 172, it has something to do with keeping the commandments of, of God. Verse 8, 1 John verse 3, verse 8. He that commits sin is of the devil. Well, Cain, prior to committing that sin, wasn't a child of the devil. He committed sin. He became a child of the devil. He that commits sin is of the devil, for the devil sins from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. 
Verse 9, whoever is born of God does not commit sin, and this can be interpreted two ways. Uh, when you are converted and you have the Holy Spirit, you're not trying to commit sin. You are aware of it, and you do the best you can to, uh, to not commit it. And then, of course, when you change to the spirit being, you're not going to sin anyway, because that's what the, the definition of being born again, uh, according to what uh, Yeshua explained in John chapter 3, you're born of spirit. And when you're born of spirit, is you're not going to be sinning, because you're going to be at one with God, as Jesus prayed to the Father that we all believers will become one with him uh, and his Father, and our Father, our spiritual Father, our true Father. <laughs> Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God, as I was trying to explain there. Verse 10, and this, the ch okay, this, this is a key verse here. To understand the difference between the children of God and the children of the devil. Verse 10, and this, the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. So let me repeat this. And this, the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever does not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Okay, so that's uh, pretty plain there. So if you're not righteous, you're not a child of God. If you are righteous, you are. Plain and simple as that. First uh, John 3, verse 11. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Now, we have a midrash or an explanation of Genesis chapter 4 here. Verses uh, 1 to uh, 6. The first few verses in, uh, in Genesis chapter 4. First John 3, verse 12. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore, and wherefore slew he him? Let me read this in a different version here so we can understand it a little better. Um, and not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, that killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because his works were wicked, but those of his brother were righteous. So he was jealous. He was upset because his brother did what he was supposed to do, and he didn't want to do it. So he sent. And he says, Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. And then in verse 15, Verse 14, we know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brethren. He that loves not his brother abides in death. Verse 15, whosoever hated his brother is a murderer. And you know not that no murderer, no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. He doesn't want you to live eternal, uh, eternally and being immortal, being a murderer. That's not going to happen. Okay, and Genesis chapter 6, verse 3 proves that the Spirit was available back then, but the people back then and throughout history resist the Holy Spirit. Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. And then in verse 5 of Genesis chapter 6, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every imagination of his thoughts was only evil continually. And it was so sad that it says it repented the Lord that he made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And I think I'm starting to understand his grief <laughs> as I, I see this world and the way it is. And again, in, in Luke chapter 17, Yeshua states that his second coming will be similar to the days of Noah and Lot. 
and and it's really wicked at this point, ladies and gentlemen. It's just um, the love of many. The love of many has waxed cold, according to Matthew chapter twenty-four. And I just read to you that you could be a murderer, not caring about your your fellow human being or your brother. And Cain exhibited that sin. He said, "Am I my brother's keeper?" Yes, we all are our brother's keeper, and we should all love one another. And that's what God is trying to, to see. And, and most people don't think about other people. They think about themselves and their immediate family. They don't think about other people. And I try to do that. I try to think about other people. It's not about me. It's about everyone. And, of course, most of all, it's about God. But anyway, um, Acts chapter 7, verse 51. Acts 7, verse 51. This is the problem of humanity. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did, so do ye. Let me repeat this again. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did, so do ye. And if you resist the Holy Spirit, you're not going to receive it, ladies and gentlemen. Acts 5, you have to obey God to receive the Holy Spirit, or you have to be willing to repent and that's a sign of wanting to obey God. And if you don't show that you want to obey God, he's not going to give you the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 5, verse 32. And we are his witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God gives to them that obey him. You have to obey God to receive the Holy Spirit. It's a very important scripture to memorize. Now, God chose the nation of Israel out of all the nations of the world, to lead all other nations to righteousness. Ladies and gentlemen, let me repeat that again. God chose the nation of Israel out of all the nations of the world to lead all other nations to righteousness. Let's begin in Deuteronomy to understand this in the uh, 46 minutes I have left. I think I have enough time to go over this. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 7. Starting in verse 6. For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God has chosen thee to be a special people unto himself, above all people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people, for you were the fewest of all people. Verse 8. But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, have the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So that's the reason why he did it, because he promised Abraham that he would do it. And then we are a part of that spiritually in First Peter. First Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood a holy nation of peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who have called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. His marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So I'm quoting this scripture to help you to understand that, again, I just quoted the scripture, or a couple of scriptures, to prove to you that Yeshua, or Jesus, our Messiah is the King of Israel. He's the King of Israel. He's ruling over Israel. 
And if we believe in the king of Israel, and if we want to obey that king of Israel, then we're going to be obeying the laws of Israel. And that's why we become a part of Israel <laughs> once we submit to the king. I mean, this is common sense. I mean, if you go to a nation, right, say, for instance, I want to move to Britain, then I have to comply to the British laws and regulations, right, and submit to the prime minister of Britain. Correct? No, that's the same thing with Yeshua. Yeshua's going to come back and rule the entire world. He's the king of Israel. And he's going to rule the entire world. And all the world is going to be uh, obeying all the rules of Israel, ladies and gentlemen. That's the way it's going to be. So I'm trying to break this down and explain it to you as simply as I can. Messiah, the, the Messiah is the king of Israel. John 1, verse 49. John 1, verse 49. It says, Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. So that's scriptural proof that the Son of God is also the King of Israel, ladies and gentlemen. Which means he's going to be going by Israel's laws. John, chapter 12, verse 13. John, chapter 12, verse 13. This is when he went into Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees, and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna! Blessed is the king of Israel that comes in the name of the Lord. Yep, that's, he's the king of Israel, ladies and gentlemen, the Messiah. I don't know if you realize that enough for those who are listening to me the first time, but you are worshiping. <laughs> You're worshiping a king of Israel. And so you must comply with the king of Israel's rules and regulations. Uh, each, If you look at the... If you just study the book of Kings, they were supposed to obey all the law of Moses, which is the law of God, by the way. Uh, First Kings, let's look at something here because most people don't understand what's in the book. What What is the, the, the law of Moses? Most people don't understand that. They don't understand the Bible tells you what it is. Uh, in First Kings chapter 2, verse 3, And keep the charge of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses. Let me repeat this. What's in the law of Moses? Statues. God's statutes, his commandments, his judgments, and his testimonies. That's all in the law of Moses. That's why I can say the law of Moses is in the law of God. If you need more proof, study um, Nehemiah chapter 8. You can see that. The law of God and the law of Moses is the same if you just read that entire chapter, Nehemiah chapter 8. Okay, Isaiah chapter 49. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6. And he said, It is a light thing that thou should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob. Jacob, before he became Israel, that's name, his name was Jacob. The tribes of Jacob, which are twelve, and to restore the preserve of Israel. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles. So we have, he's talking about all the 12 tribes of Israel, but he's also talking about another group. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles that you may be my salvation unto the end of the earth. And he's talking about the Messiah here, which is proof of the magnification of this verse. Uh, let's turn to Luke chapter 2, verse 32. A light, oh, and this was um, the prophet um, 
Simeon, yeah. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and he's and in verse twenty-seven of Luke chapters give you the context. Luke two verse twenty-seven, and he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law. Then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For my eyes have seen thy salvation, which Yeshua means, right, in uh, Hebrew. Verse 31, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. Verse 32, a light to lighten the Gentiles. And that's, that's, that's referring to that scripture that I quoted. Isaiah 49, verse 6, and the glory of thy people. Israel, a light to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people. So he's a light to all the 12 tribes of Israel, and he's a glory, uh, he's a light to the Gentiles, and he's the glory of the 12 tribes of Israel. That's what I was trying to say. All right, and then Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. Verse 18. When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then have God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. And I'm quoting the scripture because the Jews didn't understand that the Gentiles also was granted repentance unto life. They didn't understand that. They didn't understand that. Even though it was it's in the Tanakh about Gentiles also being granted repentance into life, but they didn't understand it. So that's one of the reasons why Yeshua came to, to to explain that to them. Then Acts chapter 13, verse 46. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, it was necessary, and he's ta they're talking to the Jews here, it was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, but seeing you put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For for so have the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light, again, uh, quoting Isaiah 49, verse 6, for so have the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. So this is talking about a group outside of the tribes of Israel. So when you combine these two scriptures together. Okay, Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. Starting at verse 15. And saying, Sirs, why do you do, you do these things? We also are of men of like passions with you, and preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities into the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein. And now here's the key verse here, Acts 14, verse 16. Who in times past allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. So he allowed, this is a key verse here to understand what I'm talking about today. In times past, before the coming of the Messiah, he allowed all nations to walk in their own ways except Israel. All right? He allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. And in uh, the complete Jewish Bible version, it says, In time past, he allowed all peoples to walk in their own ways. And the Scriptures version, Who in past generations allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. 
Okay? And it says, though indeed he did not leave himself without witness, but he still, the significance of this verse is saying he, he allowed all nations with the exception of Israel. I just read to you that he called out the nation of Israel because of the promise of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But all the rest of the nations, he allowed them to walk in their own ways. So this is a very important scripture to understand. All right. Let's turn to another scripture to help us understand Acts 14, verse 15 and 16 a little better. Acts 17. Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 30. Actually, verse 29. Acts 17, verse 20. Now then, since we are the offspring of Elohim, and in this context, he's talking about all of humanity being um, children of God. That's ultimately, God desires all of humanity to be his children. Now, I'm not talking about Nephilim. I'm talking about regular human beings that were born from the seed of a man, not the seed of an angel. So, it says, now then, since we are the offspring of Elohim, we should not think that the Elohim is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by the skill and thought of man. Verse 30, truly then, having overlooked these times of ignorance, Elohim now commands all men everywhere to repent. So he was not commanding everyone in the entire world to repent until the becoming of the Messiah. After he died, that's when he commanded everyone, everyone on this planet to repent. And that's the truth of your Bible. And the reason why is because he has set a day on which he is going to judge the entire world, all who has ever lived in righteousness. Righteousness is keeping the commandments, so we're going to be judged by the law of liberty, by a man whom he has appointed, having given proof of this to all by raising him from the dead. Then Psalm 147 proves this further the point I'm trying to make out of the scriptures. Psalm 147. Psalm 147, starting at verse 19. He shows his word unto Jacob, his statutes and his judgments unto Israel. So he showed his, his word unto Jacob, which is the 12 tribes, because Jacob's that was his name before his name was changed to Israel. His statutes and his judgments unto Israel. And verse 20, it's a key verse here. He has not dealt so with any nation, other than Israel, of course. And as for his judgments, they have not known them. This is a prophecy to tell you that he did not focus on any other nation other than Israel during Old Testament times. But in the New Testament times, what happened? Well, yes, true, Yeshua was focused on the house of Israel during his ministry, but after he died, the commission that his servants were given by him is to preach this message into the entire world, which was already prophesied out of the Tanakh anyway. They just didn't understand. They didn't understand that that's what they needed to be, that what, they didn't understand that that's what they needed to do. that the message of the gospel is for all of mankind, not just for the Jews. Not just for the Jews. Romans chapter 11. 
Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, starting at verse 25. For I would not, brother, that you should be ignorant. So if you don't want to be ignorant, let's pay attention to this. For I would not, brother, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, that not you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is just a partial blindness. It's happened to Israel. Now, there's a dichotomy here that's at work. That blindness is part has happened to Israel. Israel is all the 12 tribes in this context. Until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. All right? So blindness has happened to the house of Judah, which consists of the Jews, uh, the tribe of Benjamin, and Levite. They're combined. And also of the rest of the tribes, which is composed of the house of Israel which consists today, as I explained, geographically anyway, of the United States, the British Commonwealth of Nations, the countries in Northwestern Europe, uh, New Zealand, South Africa, Australia. Okay, all those those uh, areas, they all are Protestant or Catholic, and they believe in Jesus being the Messiah. But their blindness is that they believe that the law has been nailed to the cross. The blindness for the Jews is that they don't believe that Yeshua is the Messiah. But they're both blind. And this scripture tells you, For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, that you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness is part of this happened to Israel, all twelve tribes, until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. So I've just read to you that the gospel is not just for the twelve tribes, it's also right now for the Gentiles that aren't a part of the twelve tribes. So let's understand that. And then, of course, later on in this chapter, it says all of Israel shall be saved. And that's talking about collectively, not each individual, because unfortunately some people of Israel, and he mentions here, I think in Romans chapter 9, not all Israel is all is Israel. So that means some won't <laughs> be a part of Israel because of their sins. But anyway, the point of the matter is, I just wanted to explain that scripture to you, that he's also concerned about Gentiles that don't have uh, Israelite seed in them. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 7. And he said unto them, this is uh, in red letters, Yeshua's words, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, not for them. Another Bible study, anyway, verse 8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit is come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea, which is the West Bank today, and Samaria, when you understand Samaria, that was the headquarters of the ten tribes of Israel, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So let's understand this again. So Yeshua is telling his servants here, his apostles, the following. You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit. After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in Judea, the West Bank today, and in Samaria. Samaria was the capital of the ten tribes of Israel, the house of Israel, and until the uttermost part of the earth, which are the rest, the Gentiles, the nations. That's what Gentiles means, and and in the Bible, Israel is called a goy. Or, or Gentile as well, 
So, you know, Gentile just means nations. Okay. Hosea, chapter 8, verse 8. But we must understand something. We must understand this one fact. That in Hosea, chapter 8, verse 8. Israel swallowed up, now shall they be among the Gentiles. So Israel is among the Gentiles as well. They are among the Gentiles. And there's another scripture here, I think, in Amos that I must quote. Amos 9, verse 8, Behold, the eyes of the Lord are upon the sinful kingdom, and I will not destroy it from off the face of the earth, saving that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, which is all the entire twelve tribes. Verse 9, For lo, I will command, and I will sift the house of Israel among all nations, like as corn is sifted in the sieve, yet shall not the least grain fall on the earth. So this is very important to understand uh, in, in light of this. And the um, Jefferson or Jameson Fawcett and Brown commentary states to Sif, I will cause the Israelites to be tossed about through all the nations as corn is shaken about in the sieve in such a way, however, that while the shaft and dust fall through perish, all the solid grains, the godly elect, remain are preserved. So that's what that means uh, as far as the sifting is concerned. And Sif, and the word study dictionary means to shake, to stagger, to wander. It refers to a displaced person, a wanderer, a vagrant. It describes a person physically shaking or trembling from fear, and of a person's lips quivering or mumbling. It depicts the wandering of Israel in the wilderness for 40 years. Figuratively, it describes a tree raining, swaying over the other trees. It is used of inanimate things, moving, shaking, being shaken, tottering. It is used of shaking one's head or hand. It indicates the Lord's judgments that make the whole house of Israel shake and drift. So that's what sift means in that context, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. Um, Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22. Verse 17. And this is a prophecy. Now, the bride are the first fruits. Those who will... will be risen in the first resurrection. And that's what he's doing too. He's calling right now, as I'm speaking, and using me and other Torah teachers around the world, he's calling you to be a part of his bride, to be able to spiritually marry the King of Israel, Yeshua Messiah, at his second coming. Revelation chapter 22, he's inviting you to the wedding. Read about it in Matthew chapter 22. Do you want to participate in the wedding? Do you want to taste the meal that the Father's going to fix for us. You know he can cook. I'm looking forward to eating what he cooks. Anyway, Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. And the Spirit and the Bride says, Come! And let him hear say, Come! And let him that is a thirst, Come! And whosoever will, no matter what skin color you are, whatever tribe or family you belong to, let him take the water of life, and notice this word, freely, not with a charge. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 17. 
And it shall come to pass in the last days. You might as well put 21st century. Says God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my service and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Verse 19, and I will show wonders in heavens above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and notable day of the Lord come. And verse 21, and it shall come to pass that whosoever doesn't make a difference what your skin color is or what tribe you come from or what family you come from, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, he stated uh, Peter, the Apostle Peter, stated that what happened when they received the Holy Spirit on Pentecost and Shavuot, that it's, it, it was a f- partial fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel. That's what he sta- stated here. He said uh, in Acts 2, verse 15, For these are not drunken, as you suppose, seeing it is the third hour of the day. Verse 16, But this is, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Okay? So he... He quoted Joel chapter 2, and he's stating that uh, this was a partial fulfillment or a fulfillment of that prophecy as far as what was going on with them, as far as receiving the Holy Spirit. And verse 21, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The process of calling people around the world through the Holy Spirit began in the first century, ladies and gentlemen. It was not limited to Israel. And this was prophesied to occur in the Old Testament, in the Tanakh. Jeremiah chapter 36, verse 2. Jeremiah 36, verse 2. Take thee a roll of a book, and write therein all the words that I have spoken unto thee against Israel and against Judah, and against all the nations. So he's concerned about three groups. The house of Israel, the house of Judah, and you combine them, they're all Israel, because that's what's going to happen in the end times. They're going to unite again into one nation, the house of Israel, and against all the nations. Now, for those of the nations right now that believe in Yeshua Messiah, repent, receive his Holy Spirit, they will become also a part of Israel. They, anybody that's a part of the first roots is automatically a part of the house of Israel. Okay, I just want to explain that to you. First Corinthians chapter ten. First Corinthians chapter ten, verse one. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Now he's he's talking to the Corinthian church here. All right, and he's telling them that they were all baptized in the Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did eat the same spiritual meat. So the spiritual meat that they were getting, so did the people of Israel back in, in the days of Moshe or Moses. Verse 4 of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, And did all drink the same spiritual drink? For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So that's another Bible study, but, but Christ was uh, the God of the Old Testament. So, and proof of that, it states in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 9, Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and also were destroyed of servants. 
So we we have to understand that Israel consists of the um, the geographical areas that I, that that I mentioned to you, the Jews, and of course anybody who uh, submits to the Messiah and is baptized and, and believes in the King of Israel, he becomes a citizen of Israel. And those are the first fruits, his bride that he's recruiting right now. As I'm speaking and other Torah teachers are speaking and, and teaching. Okay, now, I don't know if I'm going to be able to really, I wanted to talk about the um, example of God's mercy. I have 19 minutes, maybe I'll be able to do it. In Matthew chapter 10, Verse 15. It states, Verily I say unto you, It shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Now, let's understand something. Yeshua is saying that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment. The day of judgment is in Revelation chapter 20. Let's go there. Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. Verse 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, and from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their work. So this is what he's talking about. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, the people, incredibly, the, the, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah are going to be resurrected and judged. Every human being who's ever lived must be judged, including those in Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 21. It says, Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. So, now, Sidon, it's, it's interesting that he mentions Sidon. Uh, if, if we go to Genesis chapter 10. Genesis chapter 10. Starting at verse 15. And Canaan begat Sidon his firstborn in Heth. So Sidon is um, one of Cain's sons, okay? Or one of, uh, not Cain's, but Canaan's sons, who we, we remember uh, was cursed. And Canaan says, cursed be Canaan. So Canaan was cursed, and he begat Sidon. Now, Sidon, There was a city named after Sidon. I'm trying to find that here. The verse here. Yes, Genesis 10, verse 19. Let me read the rest of this here. And Canaan begot Sidon, his firstborn in Heth, and the Jebusite, and the Amorite, and the Gergesite, and the Hivite, and the Archite, and the Sinite, and the Arvadite, and the Zemarite, and the Hamathite, and afterward were the families of the Canaanites spread abroad. So, so Sidon was a part of the Canaanites. 
in Genesis 10, verse 19, And the border of the Canaanites was from Sidon, as thou comest to Gerar and to Gaza, as thou goest unto Sodom and Gomorrah, and Admar and Zabiam, even unto Lasha. These are the sons of Ham, after their families, after their tongues, in their countries, and in their nations. Okay, so that's an interesting thing. The Sidon has something to do with Canaanites. And Canaanites has something to do with Sodom and Gomorrah, according to the scriptures. So getting back to uh, Genesis uh, chapter 10, uh, not Genesis, but uh, Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. So anyway, Matthew 11, verse 21. Woe unto thee, Chorazin, and unto thee, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you have been done in Tyre and Sidon, which we know has everything to do with the Canaanites, and Sodom and Gomorrah was in that area as well, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. And verse 22, But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And then in verse 23, And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, thou shalt be brought to hell, for if the mighty works which have been done in thee have been done in Sodom, it will remain until this day. So if Sodom would have remained until today, then they would have repented, ladies and gentlemen. So the scriptures that I've showed you that God did not work with other nations, including Sodom and Gomorrah, okay? He did not work with them and other nations. And it wasn't his plan at that time to work with other nations until the death of the Messiah. It wasn't his plan to do that. Then, in all fairness, he's going to give Sodom and Gomorrah an opportunity to learn the truth of God. I know that sounds incredible, but there's no other conclusion you can make looking at all these scriptures. Matthew 11, verse 24, But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment. You know the day of judgment is when everybody's resurrected, whoever lived, that did not participate in the first resurrection. Then for thee. And we know that Sodom and Gomorrah, they won't be in the first resurrection, but they certainly will be in the second resurrection. And that's what he was referring to here. Okay, now here's another scripture. How much time do I have left? 13 minutes. Um, Ezekiel 16. This is a shock. <laughs> but I'm just going to go ahead and read this about Sodom and Gomorrah here. I'm going to try to read it in the easy version here for us to understand. Uh, the... 1965 Bible and basic English version. So, this is uh, Ezekiel chapter 16, starting in verse 46. It says, your oldest sister is Samaria. Now, Samaria it was the capital of the ten tribes of Israel. You can prove that by going to your Davidi's website or just do some research on your own. Living at your left side, she and her daughters, and your younger sister living at your right hand is Sodom and her sisters. So, he's talking about... Um, the house of Judah here in this context. And he's saying, your oldest sister is Samaria, living at your left hand. She and your daughters, and her daughters, and your younger sister living at your right hand is Sodom and her daughters. So the oldest sister uh, is at the house of Judah's left hand. The younger sister, Sodom, is at the right hand, according to the way he wants you to picture this here, God. Verse 47, 
Still, you have not gone in their ways or done the disgusting things which they have done, but as if that was only a little thing, you have gone deeper in evil than they in all your ways. So he's saying the house of Judah, the Jews, have gone deeper in sinning than, than Samaria, the, the ten tribes of Israel, or or Sodom and Gomorrah, which is incredible. But this is right in your Bible for you to see. Uh, Ezekiel 16, verse 48. But my life, says the Lord, Sodom, your sister never did. By my life, says the Lord, Sodom, your sister never did. She or her daughters, what you and your daughters have done. It says, by my life, says the Lord, Sodom, your sister never did. She or her daughters, what you and your daughters have done. Verse 49. Truly, this is what the sin of your sister Sodom, pride, a full measure of food, and the comforts of wealth and peace were seen in her and her daughters, and she gave no help to the poor or to those in need. They were full of pride and did what was disgusting to me, and so I took them away, as you have seen. Now, Israel is called Sodom and Gomorrah, the leaders in particular, but obviously they weren't as bad uh, as one particular tribe of Israel, as, as, as talked about in this chapter, the house of Judah. Verse 51, And Samaria, Samaria is a, a symbolic of the ten tribes of Israel, has not done half your sins, but... But you have made the number of your disgusting acts greater than theirs, making your sisters seem more upright than you by all the disgusting things which you have done. Ezekiel 16, verse 52, And you yourself will be put to shame in that you have given the decision of your sisters through your sins, which are more disgusting than theirs. They are more upright than you, truly. You will be shamed and made low, for you have made your sisters seem upright. So the house of Judah has made the house of Israel and... Sodom, more upright, based on the level of sin that they were doing, according to the scriptures here. Ezekiel 16, verse 53. Ezekiel 16, verse 53. And I will let their fate be changed, the fate of Sodom and her daughters, and the fate of Samaria and her daughters, and your fate with theirs, so that you will be shamed and made low because of all you have done when I have mercy on you. Verse 55. And your sister Sodom and her daughters will go back to their first condition. So he's going to restore Sodom and Gomorrah, ladies and gentlemen. Believe it or not, it's in your Bible. And Samaria and her daughters will go back to their first condition, right? The ten tribes. And you and your daughters will go back to your first condition. So he's talking about Ezekiel chapter 37 when the, the ten tribes of Israel will be united with the house of Judah. But he's saying here also that Sodom and her daughters will go back to their first condition. And he says, Was not your sister Sodom an open your mouth in the day of your pride? before your shame was uncovered. So this is pretty interesting, ladies and gentlemen, when we really look at the scriptures and what it's saying. Truly, truly interesting. That he's going to have mercy, even on Sodom and Gomorrah. And remember that we all have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. In 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 10. For we all have to come before Christ to be judged, so that every one of us may get his reward for the things done in the body, good or bad. So that's something that we have to understand, too. I already read to you Revelation chapter 20 about the judgment period. Now, there's some other scriptures I wanted to uh, go over, but I'm going to have to go over it next week because I'm not going to have the time. But I'm going to talk about next week... Um, the children of God and the children of Satan. I'm going to go in a little more detail about that and uh, 
talk about also ultimately, again, showing scriptural proof why Yeshua came. And he came to destroy death and eliminate sin. I'm going to quote some other scriptures to help us understand that. So that's what I'm going to talk about next week. So I'm going to uh, end this program right now. And uh, may the Lord bless and keep you. And God willing, I'll be available to you next week. Shalom. Peace. Malachi chapter 4 For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse.